0: I've got a gear update and a mini review on a five-year-old camera, the one you've always been waiting for, and then jumping into another What I Learned segment, uh, this time from photographing at New Holland Knickerbocker for Yelp Grand Rapids. Welcome to Live Life Creative, helping you break down your barriers to being more creative. I'm Dylan Kreienbrink. Thanks for spending some time with me today. So I've got a little bit of an update. A few episodes ago, I was talking about what I used to shoot events, my kit, and I was saving up for a Nikon D750. Well, my announcement, I finally bought it. I'm very excited. It's way better than my Nikon D7000. That is a eight-year-old camera, I think. And then the Nikon D750 is a five-year-old camera. So, you know, not exactly playing with new stuff here, but I'm still super excited. Uh, Yeah. In my notes, it says it's a full frame camera released in 2014. Uh The D7000, a crop sensor. So, you know, smaller sensor size released in 2010, kind of a big difference there. I'm really pleased by the, by how technology has progressed in those four years. Now, I'm not afraid of shooting up to maybe 6,400 ISO if that's really necessary for events. The 6,400 in the D7000 was no good. Not at all. Not even in the least. The most I would ever push the D7000 was to 1,600. So, being able to get to 6,400 ISO for an emergency, that is really helpful. The strange thing is on the D750, the fastest shutter speed is 1 over 4,000. Uh, on the D7000, it's actually one over 8000, which is, you know, twice as fast. So you can shoot in even brighter situations with that eight thousandth of a second. But on the other side, the D750 can go down to ISO 50, whereas the D7000 goes to ISO 100. So it, since it has a lower ISO range, then that kind of cancels out, it kind of balances that part of it. So in that part that they're equal, you know, limiting the amount of light hitting the sensor. Uh, I did make a mistake, though, in that earlier episode talking about my kit. I had said that I thought the D7000 had Nikon's flagship control layout. It does not. I just want to make that correction. But it does have better controls than like the D5000 series, the D3000 series. On those ones, you do have to go into the menus quite a bit more or do more button combinations to get to your settings. So I just want to make that uh, clear there. The D750 has almost the same layout as the D7000, Uh, one nice difference that I like is that the video record button is actually near the shutter release so you can change that to control your ISO instead of you know starting a movie. So that's a really easy way to change your ISO, you don't have to like pull your camera down, hit the ISO button, scroll and stuff. You can keep the camera to your face and change ISO which is pretty cool. Uh, so, I've had the D750 for about a month as of this recording. As I said, I like it way better than the D7000. I actually shot another event uh, two nights ago from this recording, and I actually used both cameras, which was kind of a luxury. It's pretty cool. I had the 70-210 to 210 on the D7000, and then the 24-70 to 70 on the D750, and it actually worked pretty, pretty well. Um, this D750 is not going to be my last camera of all time. But I do feel a lot more comfortable taking paid gigs using the D750 than the D7000. It's definitely a much higher quality, obviously, being a full frame versus crop sensor and four years newer. Uh, That progression of technology between 2010 and 2014, that also makes me excited for the progression of technology between 2014 and 2019 with the Nikon Z6. NZ7. I think that they technically came out in 2018, but whatever, you know what I mean. So, whatever camera I get next, if it's a new or new ish model, then that's going to be even way better. So, I'm pretty excited about that. Now, I love making this podcast. Hopefully, it's something that's been able to help you, too. You can help keep it going by becoming a co-creator on Patreon. Now, at any level, you get the mobile wallpaper pack that I put together. And at the $5 level, you actually get a shout-out here on the podcast and access to an ad-free, pitch-free version of the podcast. It's really great. And you don't have to listen to me talk about Patreon on the Patreon feed. I'm just that grateful for you. So if you want to find out a bit more, visit LiveLifeCreativePodcast.x xyz tap support in the menu and to get that info okay jumping into the what i learned segment uh new holland knickerbocker this is a really cool brewery in grand rapids yeah Grand Rapids has a lot of breweries. Uh, the Actually, the new, original New Holland location is in Holland, Michigan. I'm you know, 45 minutes away or so. And then they opened up the Knickerbocker on the west side of downtown in Grand Rapids. I know they have at least one more location, uh, kind of a smaller space in Saugatuck, Michigan. I actually went by there uh, when my me and Nicole went to the beach uh, last week. I'm not sure what their other locations are. Now, their logo, though, is a dragon, so right when you walk into the Grand Rapids Brewery, they've got this 10-foot metal dragon statue, which is really cool, and if I remember, I'll include a photo in the show notes for you. Actually, I'm going to type that in right now. Include photo of dragon statue. Okay, there we go. Uh, this was another event for Yelp Grand Rapids. It's in this sort of like semi-private dining room off to the side next to the bar. Uh, it's actually a really cool room because it's got these giant, like fl- eh, not floor to ceiling, but pretty tall windows, maybe about halfway up the wall. Uh, the height of the ceiling above this room was like double normal height. So it was like 30 feet tall instead of like 15 feet tall like the rest of that level of the brewery was. So because of that extra height, there's actually a balcony looking down into it. Uh, one side of the room had this uh, big metal wall with portrait art on it. Uh, I'm not sure who they were exactly. And I went up on the balcony once or twice and I actually got some pretty cool top down photos of people having a good time at the event. And I, I thought it was, I was really grateful to have kind of that extra view up there. Now, the natural sidelight from this is obviously incredible. There's that bay of windows, half of that tall exterior wall. And this was a great chance being a brewery. They not only had beer, obviously they had food too. So I got these really cool food shots. And one of my favorite food shots of all time I took at that night is these pizza spiral things. So imagine a strip of pizza crust, uh, maybe six inches long or so, and you got your toppings and your cheese on it, and then they just roll it up and bake it. Man. Those things were so good, some garlic on there. I actually am recording this just before dinner time, and I'm pretty hungry. Those pizza spirals sound super, super good. Um, and this shot of the spirals is a kind of a good environmental shot too, because there's some people in the background, beers and drinks around it, the beautiful light coming in from the windows. I love this photo. I'm still waiting for them to use it on their Instagram. I haven't seen it pop up yet, but um, you know, I still got my fingers crossed about that one. I will say, though, it was really hard to shoot against that backlight. Um, There's this one table that was kind of positioned between the entrance to the room and the windows. So if I was standing on the entrance side of that room and shooting to this table, photographing towards this table, all that backlight was just killer. Like either completely blown out white windows and flaring coming in or I would try to balance the exposure and nothing was working against it. It was really, really hard. And this big set of windows actually caused a lot of blown highlights on the wall adjacent to it, 90 degrees from it, which was too bad because that adjacent wall had this really big uh, logo of the dragon of New Holland Brewery. And I wanted to get some really good shots with people in it. But the light from the window was falling directly onto the dragon. So most of the wall was just normal light from the room. But then there's these just tall strips, tall, narrow strips of just completely blown out highlights of outdoor light from the windows. I was like, ah, that stunk. So I still delivered some of those shots to Yelp, to the client. But I wish it was just like the light was just a little bit different in there. Uh, One piece of advice I would give you is when you're shooting events, always keep an eye out for unexpected things. There's this one person that walked in with a birthday bag, you know, a gift bag, and I didn't really think much about it because I wasn't paying enough attention but later in the night, I just turn around and there's the two ladies, one who's giving the birthday gift to the other lady and they're hugging and they're like, oh, happy birthday, y'all. Thank you for the birthday gift and all that stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, I missed that one. <laughs> Good job on that. So that was a little bit of a disappointment on that, but it did, you know, teach me to keep an eye out, uh, watch for those birthday gifts or, you know, just some happy conversation produces those good laughs. You always want to get the pictures of happy, smiling people for the client, because that's what the kind of photos that really kind of help, you know, show like, Hey, this is a fun event. This is a cool thing. You should join us next time. That kind of thing. Another thing that I find really useful in shooting events is just keep a smile on your face the whole night. You know, if you're feeling, you know, crappy or whatever, like do your best with it but especially when you're talking to guests having an upbeat attitude that's going to help them relax in front of the camera and that's going to help them like play with you a bit and not just have like a stiff like photo face smile where you're just kind of like staring into the camera and just terrible photos you want to get like relaxed natural looking photos and a lot of that is candid if you're taking photos like like hey can you guys all take a photo like you're trying to set up a photo You also want them to be relaxed there and take natural looking photos as there as well. So um, one of the things on this night, uh, I was just keeping a smile, you know, know, playing with people, talking to people, laughing it up a little bit. And there's this one girl, she caught me taking her picture and she just laughed at me. So I kept snapping. And uh, I think one of those extra photos is a picture that I delivered to the client it was a really good photo. And she was just relaxed because, you know, I wasn't like being pushy or rude or mean or anything like that. I was just being really engaging with the people and trying to keep a you know good attitude and stuff like that. So they'd be relaxed. Um, this is another event where I kept my camera at ISO 1600 all night in aperture priority at the beginning of the night. That wasn't so necessary because of that gorgeous window light coming in. But, I still wanted to keep it at 1600 even then just so I have a higher enough shutter speed to kind of capture people if they're moving around and stuff. And then later later in the night when there was no light coming in from the outside, that definitely made it more difficult, slower shutter speed, you know, more blur and stuff like that. Um, after sunset, when there wasn't any more light, I grabbed my flash, pulled that out. Using it was really hard in this situation because this dining room area thing that they were in, <sighs> Two of the walls were just brick or dark wood, like the bottom portions of it were like this dark wood. And then of course there is the um the windows And then one wall was just like this sort of like a glass divider from the rest of the restaurant brewery area. Kind of the only place I could bounce my flash off of was that tall metal wall with the art on it. Even the ceiling was too tall and too dark too, I think, to be able to bounce my flash off of it. So that made it really tough. Like I was always, you know, moving my flash head around, making sure I was bouncing it off of there. Um, A lot of the time I just had to use the diffuser that comes with the flash and I was not super happy with it because it looks really flashed and there's not a whole lot that I could have done with that. But you know, I, you have to get the photo as best as you can. You have to get the photo, right? Um, I could have tried setting up the flash off camera, which I thought might've been a cool idea. Uh, what I would have done is take my speed light, and I've got this like little GorillaPod tripod thing that I can screw screwed onto the top of. It's not as strong as a GorillaPod. It's like an off-brand thing. But I could have taken that up to the balcony and just like attached it to the, you know, the railing on the balcony and pointed it down or pointed it at the metal art wall, and then that could have worked possibly. But the big problem with it is that my radio triggers for my flash, my wireless triggers. They're not the most reliable. Um, I think I've worked with them some more since then. And I think I've gotten them to work better since then. But especially at the time, I was not confident that it was going to work. And so I just didn't want to risk it. Uh, so the night started, you know, people just kind of came in, you know, get talking, chat, and stuff like that. After a while, they brought out drinks and food, and that was the main event for maybe an hour or so. Uh, later on the night, we went on a tour tour around the brewery, um, and just kind of seeing like the bar area. And there's something special about that that I missed out on because I was taking pictures. But he was saying something like, "This is it a custom or." talking about the architects or something like that. And there's like a gift shop and a sitting dining area. Uh, Eventually we went up to the second level and there's like this back bar area and it's kind of like a speakeasy style. It's really cool. Uh, The problem with it was that this back bar was extremely dark. Like they didn't turn on the main lights or anything, just really, really dim lights and no natural light because it's just completely dark outside. So I went down to like one 40th of a second, one of a second and cranked up my ISO a little bit. I think to 2000, maybe 2500, but still it was so dark. It was super, super tough. I got a few good photos out of there. So enough to like show that that was part of the night. So I could include that as part of the story of the night, but that was tough. That was not an e- easy situation. Uh, the ceiling was this like shiny gold decorative ceiling. It wasn't really that great for bounce flash. I did get some that way and they turned out, you know, kind of shiny gold looking, but I worked with it and got a few that way. Uh, one portion of this back bar area, a portion of the wall was actually a window looking down into the actually brew production facility, which was really cool to see and have that be a part of the restaurant, which was neat. Um. And that part of the facility, the production area, that was a lot brighter. So what I did when the tour guide was talking about the brew stuff and they were all standing by the window, I stood back a little bit and I exposed for the brew facility. So then I got a good silhouette of people looking uh, looking through the window at the brew equipment, which was kind of cool. And it also let me get a little bit higher shutter speed and lower ISO just a bit. So I could get a little bit higher quality image as well. Uh, We also toured the brewery production area. Just bright fluorescent lights beating straight down, white walls, stainless steel equipment. It was pretty brutal. Uh, Just nothing, uh, not a lot interesting in there, Uh, at least from a photographic standpoint. It would have been better if the tour like the yelp people on the tour could have like gone into the equipment, and looking around and touching stuff and doing stuff like that and there would be a lot more uh opportunity there I think but everybody was just standing around in kind of the restricted zone there's like this yellow line on the floor that you had to stand behind and uh, just that way it was you know it was just hard <laughs> it was just hard i got some pictures around there so i could include it in the photos that i sent to the client but you know i did the best i could it would be more interesting if they were all like inside of it other than just like standing around my biggest takeaway from the night was just how good natural light really is when you can get enough of it and just how massive of a difference a room goes through when it's just lit by indoor lights and it's just darker and the light quality is just so much worse and it's usually like straight down so you get weird bad shadows on people's faces so Uh, that was just one of my reinforcements of the night of just how good natural light really is. Now on a different note, not talking about shooting at the Knickerbocker, but on the editing and post-processing side of photography, I don't actually use Adobe Lightroom, which I know is probably the most prevalent uh, photography post-processing tool out there. It's pretty much standard for most people, but I don't use it because I'm cheap. (laughs) and I'm not in a good position uh, to be able to pay a monthly fee for things. So instead, I use a free and open source program called Darktable. It's kind of superficially similar to Lightroom. It has a lot of the same workflow uh, with a library and then like a post-processing where you've got all your sliders and stuff like that. But there's also a lot of differences. So, I'm curious. Would you be interested in hearing podcast episodes about Darktable and learning about it or is that something that you're not really into? I don't really care about that kind of thing. Other tools or I'm just curious. I'm even considering making YouTube videos about using Darktable. Uh video kind of intimidates me because it's not something I've done a whole lot with. Uh, I'm actually recording a video of me recording this podcast, so a little bit meta, but I'm just like trying it out, trying to do more of it uh, because I know how valuable video is <laughs> this day and age. So I'm trying to get better at it, but on the YouTube side with Darktable, there's not a whole lot of content out there using it, which I think is too bad because I found it super useful. I know that Lightroom has better tools overall and it's probably a better quality program overall. But for not having to pay for Darktable, it does an amazing job. It's got, you know, not just the post processing, it's got, you can tag keywords in it. Uh, you can, that was a weird example to give because now my mind is blanking, but you can create collections. You can do presets. A Darktable calls them styles. Uh, you can do, you know, highlights, shadows, exposure, contrast, tone curve. Color balance, there's a ton of tools in there. I think there's probably a lot more modules than Lightroom has actually because I've never used Lightroom, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot more in Darktable. But anyway, I found Darktable to be useful. If you're interested in a free alternative to Lightroom, send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at LiveLife Creative Podcast. Let me know. I'd love to have your feedback so I know what direction to go with making helpful things for you. And especially if this podcast has been helpful. I would love to hear from you too. You can subscribe to the show on whatever podcast app you're using. And I would love if you could review it on the app that you're using and share it with a friend that's interested in photography as well. Uh, That's the best way that podcasts get out there is by personal recommendations. Uh, Podcast discovery is a huge problem and it's not really been solved very well. The best place to hear about new podcasts is usually from your friends. So I'm Dylan brink breaking down your barriers to being more creative.